Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning, it's my privilege to preach and teach this morning. And I just so love the series that we're currently in as a church, God Is. Isn't that a wonderful series? Um, I remember in 2005, we did a series in the church for a whole year of God is. And we did, looked at 52 different attributes of who God is. And I could honestly say that was a year where I discovered deeper intimacy with God because the focus was on Him. And this morning as I teach and as we look at the scriptures this morning is the whole goal of being born again, receiving eternal life, John chapter 17, that we may know Him. To know Him. To know Him. You might say, well, Wally, why is it so important to know Him? Simply, firstly, because the purest of worship is for who He is. The purest of worship needs to be of His attributes, His character, His nature. Secondly, our faith is in the person of who God is. So many people have latched onto the promises of God, but they don't know the person who gave the promises. And therefore, they struggle when there's challenges and difficulties. And thirdly, why it is so important to know who God is, you and I are called to be His ambassadors to reflect who He is. And if you don't know who He is, how can you represent him? So it is so important for us as we journey on this next couple of weeks and months of a discovering of who God is. Can I encourage you, don't just receive the knowledge of the scriptures. Process it into your hearts and then into your feet to live it. Because it's one thing to have a knowledge, a head knowledge, but it's got to sink into our hearts where we go, wow. And then our feet to live in it and walk in it. <clears throat> now this morning, I want to say to you, let the scriptures be the loudest voice in your life. For a lot of people, it's facts has a loud voice. Or feelings have a loud voice. I want to say to you this morning, let the scriptures be the loudest voice in your life. And this morning, I'm looking at the topic of God is a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. And as we look at the scriptures, I want you to receive the scriptures and allow them to speak into your heart. We're going to be looking at a number this morning. Please make note of them that you can reflect and process and ponder on them. The first one is in Psalm 130, verses 3 to 4. Beautiful portion of Scripture. This is penned by David, greatest king of Israel. He was also the sweet psalmist the Bible describes him as. And can I say, he not only wrote them, but he sang them. Now, as I read this particular portion of Scripture, I just want to read it for us this morning. He said, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins... Oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are to be feared. 
And I'm wanting to emphasize it's you, O Lord. You, O Lord. You, O Lord. You see, the focus needs to be Him, not ourselves. It was just the other day I got in the post or on, on our driveway one of the telephone directories. I don't know how many of you got them. As I picked it up and took it inside, and I thought to myself, wow, Lord, if all my sins were recorded in there, it would be about 100 feet tall. Directory after directory. That's what David said. If you kept record of them, who could stand? would be crushed under the weight of it. However, because he doesn't count our sins against us, we can experience the deep heart knowledge of his forgiveness. It concludes you to be feared. You see, when you know the forgiveness of God and the reverence and awe of who God is, you don't live flippantly with sin. I do believe the last end-time church is going to be a church that will reverence God, will fear Him with a healthy fear. Not the, not the trembling of, oh God, but it's God, you're great. God, in the light of your mercy, in the light of your forgiveness, I want to live a righteous life, pleasing in your eyes. In Luke chapter 24, this was Jesus talking to His disciples on the Emmaus Road. Luke 24 from verse 46 to 48 and it's interesting, on the Emmaus Road, the Bible says he opened up their hearts, he opened up their minds, he opened up the scriptures to them. And he said this, the Christ will suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations. The gospel is here. Repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations. It's so beautiful that there he was reminding and re-emphasizing that the gospel is repentance and forgiveness of sin. Now you might say, well, why is it so important to understand this truth of a forgiving God? Can I say to you this morning, understanding his forgiveness helps us walk free from the shame, the guilt, and the condemnation of our past. Too many people are haunted by their past. Their skeletons are rattling in the cupboard instead of buried in coffins. God is wanting to help us to understand the depths of His forgiveness, that He makes us squeaky clean on the inside, because not knowing His forgiveness paralyzes us in the present and robs us of a future. But when we know His forgiveness, as we were singing in worship earlier, oh, just to know His love and His forgiveness frees us. Understanding His forgiveness restores our identity as a son and a daughter. It restores us. Remember, Moses had this big challenge when God said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And his response was, well, who, who am I to go? And you know what God's response to him? was, I am, I'm sending you. The real restoration of your identity is not found in discovering yourself, but knowing who God is. And when you know who He is, then you can go and do what He's called you to do. So when you know His forgiveness, it restores your identity. Knowing His forgiveness frees you into your destiny. Knowing His forgiveness gives you confidence to pray, confidence to testify, confidence to witness. Knowing His forgiveness enables you to forgive others. 
That is a massive, weighty truth just in itself, which I won't have too much time to go into, but it's an important conditional aspect of receiving his forgiveness as forgiving others. You see, forgiveness is the foundation of all healthy relationships. Forgiveness heals relationships and keeps the harmony and the peace there. Somebody once said marriage is the happy union of two good forgivers. We've got to learn today to forgive tomorrow's offenses. We were staying with a couple, I remember Kalyan and Ina. I don't know if you, you saw that little sticker all over the place. Forgive today tomorrow's offenses. You see, because the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation 12, verse 10, he says he accuses us day and night, relentlessly reminding us of our faults, failings, weaknesses, and where we've messed up. I don't know when we, I'm not a major dog lover, some of you that know me. And once, for our daughter's sakes, we got little dogs, a little dog. Skippy, cool little dog, little miniature dash on. And when it was a puppy, it had to learn not to poop inside. Garden, grass, everywhere out. And somebody said, the way you teach them is once they've done their business, you take them by the scruff of the neck and you put their nose in it. And then you say, outside. See, the problem is what happens with us as Christians when we mess up and we don't understand God's forgiveness, the devil takes us by the scruff of the nose and doesn't just put our nose in it, he rubs our face in it and reminds us of where we've messed up. But when we know the power of God's forgiveness, we look to the cross and say, yes, I did mess up, but there is a God that has forgiven me. The enemy wants to accuse us, the Holy Spirit wants to bring conviction and the massive difference between conviction and condemnation. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is clear, specific, it's definite. You know whether you had a wrong thought, wrong motivation, wrong attitude, wrong deed, wrong speaking, and you go, oh, oh, the Holy Spirit let you know. And then right there and there, you say, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord, please forgive me. And then you receive His forgiveness, and you're cleansed that you can walk forward. If I could use this by an illustration, we've just been on the road for two months, traveling to different churches, encouraging them and strengthening them. And as you drive along the road, how many of you know your front windscreen collides with many different bugs? And you regularly have to use your wipers. Now, I have them here. Somebody's taken it. Is it? One of the stands. Maybe on the stand, there's nothing on the stand. <laughs> I took it off my car specifically this morning. Warren, help me. So please, whoever has taken it, confess. It's a safe place. <laughs> you will be forgiven instantly on the spot with no condemnation. Oh, Lord, open my eyes that I might see. <laughs> I was looking on the wrong stand. <laughs> and you know what? 
we've got the windscreen wiper that as offenses and hurts and the bugs of life affect our, the windscreen of the forward momentum of where God wants to take us, the windscreen of God's forgiveness helps us to be able to see where we're going. The Bible says, if, in 1 John 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So when an offense or a hurt or something hits us, instead of going this way, we go like this. See the difference? How many of us want to go, clip, instead of forgive you, forgive? I forgive, I forgive. Cleanse, I can see. The Bible says, bless the pure in heart that they can see God. People have lost their sight of God because there's so many bugs of hurt and offense on the windscreen of the inner man. They're not seeing him. To me, it's so important, this element of forgiveness. If I look at two key people in the Bible, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, who blew it big and blew it bad, but they understood God's forgiveness. Remember King David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband Uriah, who counted the troops instead of saying it's my muscle power that I'm looking to instead of God's power to deliver us. David, David knew fame in Israel. Do you remember when he killed Goliath? He, he had this, this anthem of the ladies who were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Imagine how David must say, whoa, this is cool. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hit. I'm, a, I'm famous. But then he also knew the shame of adultery and murder. His name was a scandal in the nation. But then he also knew the freedom of God's forgiveness. You read Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him. And Psalm 51 is a beautiful, deep, deep psalm of David understanding the conviction of God, coupled together with repentance, confession, and cleansing. Beautiful psalm. In Psalm 86, verse 4 to 5, he makes this profound statement. He says, you are forgiving and good. The living Bible says, ready to forgive. So God doesn't think, well, let's just, Trinity, let's have a quick meeting to decide whether we're going to forgive Wally. No, no, no. The moment we acknowledge, repent, and confess this forgiveness, we've got to learn to receive that forgiveness. We've got to learn to receive it. Then Saul of Tarsus was another character in the Bible in the New Testament who the Bible calls him a persecutor and murderer of the church. He had many of the saints murdered and imprisoned, but then God calls him and he becomes a great preacher of the church. Much of the New Testament we have today was penned by Paul in prison. And he makes this profound statement in Acts 20 where he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. He knew the forgiveness of Christ for all the atrocities he had committed. And he could preach profound, powerful gospel truths 
and doctrines of redemption and justification and forgiveness because he understood the cross that both the penalty of sin which was death was canceled by Christ and the power of sin which is a snare he was freed from. And many of us need to understand that in our hearts and we need to keep that windscreen wiper clean in our hearts so we can move forward. See, what separates Christianity from all the other religions, one of the primary things is forgiveness from God is for free. All other religions, you've got to pay, you've got to owe, you've got to work for it, you've got to strive for it. But with Christianity, it's for free because of the cross. And we need to begin to grasp that and understand that or we will begin to punish ourselves and, and want to try and inflict pain on ourselves, whether in a good way or in a bad way. I know for myself, when I, when I first became a Christian, I so struggled to forgive myself. And I said, God, I'm so sorry for this thought, this attitude, this word, this whatever. I said, God, I'm going to prove to you how sorry I am. I'm going to have an extra half an hour devotion, read an extra chapter, and I'm going to memorize some more verses. Now, that might sound noble, but you know what? From a God point of view, it was offensive because it was my works trying to earn forgiveness when he's done it at the cross for me. We need to learn to receive it. Why? Isaiah 53 speaks of this, that all the evil of my sin that required justice, he was punished, he was beaten, he was bruised, he died for me in my place. He was crushed by the weight of mankind's sin that we could stand tall and forgiven. When you struggle with guilt and condemnation inwardly and your head posture is always like this. Woe is me. Oh, I'm so struggling, so battling. But when you notice forgiveness, there's such gratitude. The Bible speaks about those who have forgiven much, love much. Because it's all about grace. This week, I was very aware of Oscar and his sentence. I haven't followed the case closely, but I hope and pray that he's made some kind of commitment to Christ. I hope he has. I know he's got six years in prison. See, those are the consequences that we have to pay sometimes for our sin. But you know what? There's God's grace to face whatever the consequences are. My prayer for him regularly is that he would go to the family of Reva and said, I did the most dwarf, most stupid thing ever. Please forgive me. Find it in your heart to forgive me. Can I tell you what? There'd be release and healing and restoration in some measure and part and way when there's forgiveness come. You know, forgiveness is such a healing word. It is such a liberating word. So many people think they've got to owe God can I say there's nothing but the blood? There's nothing but the cross. When you try to think that you can do it yourself, it's like taking a bath in dirty water expecting to come out clean. When you think you can do it. It's like, if I could say, it's like when you, when you go to a bank and you take a loan for a house, every month you've got to pay your bond repayments. It's this thing that hangs over your head. It's a thing that hangs over your head. But that's not so with forgiveness. You don't owe God anything. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all at Calvary. I want to say to you this morning, there's no sin that's too big 
that God cannot forgive. No Everest mountain of sin is bigger than Calvary. You might think, well, Wally, I've done this, I've done that. It's just, it's just horrendous. I want to say Calvary's bigger. Calvary is bigger. God's forgiving heart does not give us permit or a license to continue to sin. Paul says in Romans 6, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, by no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, how do we begin to appropriate this forgiveness to live in it that we can walk free and bring others to the knowledge of God's forgiveness? Firstly, God's forgiveness is fully revealed in the person of Jesus. As you read the Gospels, let the beautiful truths just sing and seep and sink into your heart. Do you remember John the Baptist, his first look at his cousin Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Gabe started off worship this morning of let's look to God, let's look to Him, let's fix our eyes on Him. This is profoundly powerful because to me, the moment we shift our gaze from Him, we're either looking at ourselves or we're looking at circumstances or we're looking at others and we're going to get tripped up. But we keep our gaze on Him, we'll understand His love and forgiveness. In Luke 5, remember that crippled guy that was lowered through the roof and, and, and he was there, he was crippled and, and Jesus said, your, your sins are forgiven and the religious leaders got all upset. Who's he to say he could have sins forgiven? Because only God can do that. And then Jesus, knowing his, their thoughts, says, well, what's easier to say your sin are for, forgiven or to pick up your bed and walk? They're both easy. And he said to him, pick up your bed and walk. Remember the woman caught in adultery. Everybody wanted to stone her. What did Jesus come? He embraced her with forgiveness. It's a freeing thing. I often ask myself, to commit adultery, you don't do it on your own. Where was the other guy? Book of the law and the Old Testament said they both had to be stoned. It was just her. Jesus on the cross, in all of his agony and all of his suffering, there was the one thief that acknowledged. He said, we're here because of our sinful deeds. We're here, we deserve it. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Jesus, in agony, in pain, after beatings, after everything, he extended forgiveness. Not only to one thief, but then he said, Father. He said, Father, forgive them to the crowds. They don't know what they're doing. In Jesus, God's last breaths on this planet, he was extending forgiveness to humanity. What a profound, powerful thing. I want to say to you this morning that God's forgiveness is revealed in the person of Jesus. It comes through repentance and confession of sin without justification, without covering up, without blame displacement. Remember Adam when he sinned? He said, no, no, it's God, it's the woman you gave me. Then Eve blamed the serpent. And everybody's been blaming everybody ever since instead of taking ownership of it. The interesting thing is, if you read in the Gospels how Peter denied Jesus, Judas betrayed Jesus, both of them said sorry, both of them cried tears, Peter was forgiven, Judas wasn't. Why? 
This is my little understanding. Peter had a 180 degree turn of heart. Judas just had 180 steps, but not a heart change. See, true repentance is an about turn and then going in the other direction. It's not just saying, oh, I'm sorry I got caught out. I was busted. No, no, no. It's a heart change that leads to a different direction. See, a lot of people are just scratched of the uncomfortability of being caught out instead of being cut to the heart for being sinners. Remember Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached, it says they were cut to the heart. It wasn't they were scratched, they were cut to the heart. And when we begin to say, God, let my heart be cut, let there be a sensitivity and a tenderness in my heart to love righteousness and hate iniquity, that I would love the things you love, hate the things that you hate, and passionately pursue purity of heart, that the windscreen shield of my life would be clear and clean, that I can see you, your plans, your purposes, and that I can run into it with all my heart. That's God's plan. That's his purpose. The Bible says it's the grace of God that teaches us and empowers us to say no. We receive God's forgiveness. We take personal responsibility for our sin. I have mentioned that. But remember the prodigal son in Luke 15, he said, I will go back. I will say, sorry, I have sinned against God, you, and against my father. This last week, I was watching the news, and I saw the report of the UK. Remember, they went into battle with the States in Iraq, and that whole seven-year detailed report of Tony Blair and the decisions that led up to him going to war with Iraq and all the ramifications and, and all the details. And he says this, Tony Blair says, I live with the decision of going to war and the catastrophic consequences for the rest of my life. And he says, after all the reports and everything, he says, I did what was right, what I thought was right at the time. And then he said the most saddest thing that I just broke into tears. He said, I, I'd do it again. I said, no, no, Tony. It was your moment to tell Iraq and the world you made the biggest mistake. You were misinformed. Iraq, please forgive me. And I will do my very best to help. See, when there's public confession of sin and repentance without justification, people are so willing to forgive. Over 185,000 people were killed. Millions displaced. You go on the internet and you look at what Iraq looks like today, it's leveled. You look at Syria, leveled. Horrendous impact. How many? Hundreds of thousands of orphans. But what breaks my heart more is 99.9 were Muslims that didn't know God. So those bombs that were dropped were sending them to an eternity without God. A weighty, weighty thing. I want to say to you this morning that as Christ followers, God's forgiveness of my sin is conditional on me forgiving others their sin. Not when I come to Christ. When I come to Christ, first time commitment, he forgives me full. But if I want to live with the windscreen of my life clear, 
I've got to live a life of forgiving others. Do you know these verses? Matthew 6, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Luke 6, verse 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. In other words, if I hold on and I choose not to, God says, I'd love to forgive you, but I can't. In Colossians, forgive whatever grievances you have that you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In other words, the way God forgives, we need to forgive. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says in the context of relationships, it says, do not give the devil a foothold. I believe unforgiveness is the biggest foothold we give to the devil in our lives that allows him to torment, harass, and hold us into bar- in bondage. I want to say to you this morning, church, to forgive is an act of your will coupled together with a walk and a journey. I enjoy watching YouTube, particularly animal programs, nature. I, I, I Google latest sightings in the Kruger Park and what have you. And I remember two weeks ago, I, I was watching this particular wildebeest having a drink. And the next minute, this crocodile leapt up and just, just caught him on the cheek. But it was enough to pull him into the water. I'm thinking, ooh, wildebeest, bad call, bad call, bad call. Sorry, I get very involved. <coughs> and then as he's dragging his wildebeest out a bit further, I'm thinking, you know. And the next minute, the croc lets go because he didn't get a good grip. Hey, now the wildebeest, instead of swimming to the bank, he lost his bearings and swims deeper into, the, into this dam. Like, oh, bad call, bad call, just keep going, keep going. And eventually the croc grabs him but on the leg. And now this thing's going on and going on, and I'm, another cup of coffee, another cup of coffee. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now there's this battle in this big dam, and then all of a sudden, the, the, the croc lets go. I don't know whether you need to take a breath, I don't know, but it was just God's mercy and grace. But the wildebeest eventually makes it to the riverbank, the, the, the bank of the dam, and he gets up, but as he gets up, the croc's after him, but he just manages to, unfortunately the croc had bitten his one leg and broke his leg. So this wildebeest managed to get away from the crocodile, but on three legs, he just managed to get away. He's lying there the next minute, I see this leopard coming. <laughs> dinner on the house, dinner on the house. Oh, my, oh no, 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 no. I got too involved in that one. And then I thought to myself, Lord, I thought to myself, but that's exactly what happens when we live in unforgiveness. We become easy pickings and prey to the enemy. The Bible says in Matthew 18 that we actually hand ourselves over to the tormentors when we have unforgiveness in our hearts. I remember visiting a friend in Freyhead. He, he worked for Old Mutual. He was the branch manager, Mike, lovely guy. Going to his office for some coffee and a catch-up chat. I see all these certificates. And, and on the certificate was a 500 club, 500 club. And I said, Mike, what's this 500 club? He says, no, when you, we got over targets, it was achievement, rewards, or what have you. I remember thinking about it going home and saying, Jeez, Lord, I don't have any of those 500 certificates. I thought, Jeez, it's quite an achievement. He says, Wally, you've got a 490th certificate. I said, Lord, what's that? He says, if you live to forgive your brother, 70 times 7 is 490. That's bigger than 500 in my eyes. 
I want to say to you, church, this morning, when you live a life of forgiveness, it could be a weighty thing, it could be a small thing. We were in Pretoria, we just arrived, and um, we, we, we were about 10, 15, 20 minutes ahead of time, and we saw the Virgin Active Health Club. We thought, okay, let's just pop in and see if we can maybe join for the two months we're here. That was the only time we went to the gym. But anyhow, <laughs> we only go sign up. So we, 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 we drive in, it's all new, and I'm looking for a parking. And um, I'm trying to look, look, look. The, 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 my, my, I'm not, you know, in new era, new everything. Now, there was a lady behind me I didn't realize behind me. So she goes, instead of peep on a hooter, she goes, pop on a hooter. So I turned back, and I got the finger. <laughs> that's very clear. I thought, oh, that's my nice welcome to Pretoria. So she parks, I park, she goes in. As I just see her walking into the gym like this, I just saw swim coach on the back. I thought, okay, so she goes in and around, she disappears, I don't see her. So she's on the counter, deciding whether we should or shouldn't. We're not 100% sure of our schedule, so we said, well, let's find out our schedule before we sign up. And all of a sudden, I saw Miss Swim Coach come out the side, walk to the swimming pool. I said, love, just hold on a minute, I'm gonna go speak to Miss Swim Coach. So I see her in the corner, I said, well, if she wasn't going to come, I was going to jump over a little wall and go see her. So she could see my persistence, that's who I am. And so she starts walking towards me, but with her head like this. And as she gets an earshot range, she says, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry I overreacted. I said, my name's Wally, I just want to tell you one thing, you are forgiven. I said, you're forgiven. I said, I don't want you to live with your head hanging because I might come to this gym and I don't want to avoid you. You don't want to avoid me. I said, you're a swim coach. I'm a life coach. I would like to help you find life. Because <laughs> that's what it is. And you know, I need to realize that, that every single day I've got to get this windscreen wiper working. Because if I don't, the bugs of offense and challenges and difficulties are going to smudge my view of who God is. And guess what? If it keeps accumulating, I'm going to crash and be a casualty on the side of the road. How many backslidden Christians do you and I know that have got offenses in their life because of unforgiveness? Then there's other weightier ones. I remember we started the church, Francis and Ronnie. I remember visiting them in their home. Lovely, dear couple. We go into their home, and there's this beautiful painting of a young lady. So I said to Francis, well, who's this lady? She says, no, it's our, our daughter. I, I said, well, what's her name? Carla, I haven't met her. She says, no, you won't meet her, Wally, because she was raped and murdered when we lived in Maritzburg by a garden boy. And he says it was the most devastating time of my life. And he said, unforgiveness so messed me up and bitterness and resentment. And somebody took me to a crusade. I think it was with Angus Buckham. And he said, unless you forgive, you won't be forgiven. And over a process of time, he went to um, Maritzburg Prison where this guy was arrested. And, and, there, and he went into the prison to face the man that did the worst atrocity to his daughter and say to him, I forgive you. He said he walked out a free man, where before he was in prison in his own heart and in his own life. In my own life, I've had many experiences where I've had to walk the journey of forgiveness with people. 
but it's a worthwhile walk to live free and to stay free. Now, in conclusion, before we break bread together, is what does God do with our sin? Big question, good question. The first thing that God does with our sin when we acknowledge it, repent, and confess it, in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, verse 1 to 3, it says that He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He forgives our sin. God does not have it stored in the cloud. God doesn't have an email with Google Cloud that's all backed up and stored there. It doesn't. He's got divine vanish that when you confess it, it's gone. In the book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 18 to 19, it says, He pardons, forgives our sin, and treads our sin underfoot, and hurls them into the depths of the sea. How's that? He pardons, forgives, he treads on them. And kind of, as I reflected on that, I thought, God, what do you do with my sin? It doesn't go like this. He goes like that. He treads them, he squashes, he just obliterates them. And he hurls them into the depths of the sea. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 to 19, God says, come, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Divine dry cleaning cleanses them. Isaiah 38 verse 17, the reason I'm giving you these scriptures, some of you need to reflect and ponder on these verses and let them sink deep down into your heart. Isaiah 38 verse 17, look at this beautiful verse. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. As I was reflecting, I said, Lord, you put them behind your back. Why? He says, if I kept them in front of me, it would mar our intimacy face to face. So I put them behind my back, that they are forever behind me, that they don't come between us. Isaiah 43 verse 25, God says, I am he who blots out your sin for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. I just love the word he says, he remembers them no more. You know, there's a huge difference between forgetting and remembering no more. If you forget something, and I'm finding it more and more the older I get, you forget. There is always that possibility of remembering it. But if you remember it no more, it's history, it's gone, it's forgiven. I remember 95, the winter of 95, I call it, pastoring in Frayhead, just getting onto computers and this whole gadget and what have you, and I just finished, end of the year, and then I got a virus, my first virus ever. It was horrific, my PC was doing all sorts of crazy things. Brought a friend, Brian Schiff, my PC doctor, I've got Mark, my PC doctor here to help me. And he says, don't worry, Wally. We will be able to rescue it and take all your sermons and we'll put it in the backup and we'll sort it out. It. Cool. We're busy chatting and he's got all his wires and da-da-da-da. And as we're busy talking and da-da, he goes, oops. But the way he said oops, my heart sank. So I said, that oops is, sounds a bad oops. What happened? He said, I pressed the wrong button. 
So what do you mean to press the wrong button? He says, it's gone. I said, no, 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 it can't be gone. can't be gone. He says, there might be a shadow of this, and he, he tried this. For a whole week he tried. I lost 95 sermons. And as I was saying, oh, God, he says, don't worry, Wally, they're in your heart. But the Lord gave me a thing. He says, Wally, when you say I'm sorry from your heart, I press the delete button, and oops, they're all gone. They're all gone. Isaiah 45, 22, God says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. How many of you know along our Milneton, when the mist comes in from time to time, it's just a matter of time as the sun gets up, the mist melts and disappears. The sun gets up, the mist disappears. And then behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this morning, as we conclude, I believe as we break bread, Jesus wants to set you free from things that have held you back from moving forward into his purposes. Some of you have got broken windscreen wipers. God is wanting to restore them that you can see clearly. As we're praying earlier on, you might say, well, Wally, this unforgiveness story, the Bible says that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Book of Hebrews speaks about a root of bitterness. You know how many people have got this growing in their spirit and their souls? All these ugly tentacles of roots that are defiling their thinking, their living, their speaking, their attitudes, because they've been hurt and offended. And they're not seeing all that God has in store for them. This morning, God wants to root out bitterness and unforgiveness that we can live free to serve his purposes and plans. To me, if bitterness has defiled you, it's part of unforgiveness or shame. The shame of either what you've done or what others have done to you. I want to say to you this morning, the blood of Jesus is greater and he'll forgive you completely.